So here at Woven, we've been in a series for the last uh, several weeks. It's Easter season, and after Easter, oftentimes I find there's questions, questions about what Easter means, why did Jesus have to die on the cross, and so what, I've liked to, what I like to do, what I've done in the past years, many years, is I've used this time to teach some of the basic things that we Christians believe. What exactly do we believe? Why did Jesus die on the cross? And today what I'd like to talk about is what exactly is a Christian? What is this thing about covenant? Uh, I'm not going to talk about the covenant church, but I want to talk about covenant and how covenant is something uh, that defines a relationship that we have with God. So let me ask you this. What exactly is a Christian? What is a Christian? Think. Children, what would you, what, how would you define what is a Christian? What does a Christian mean? You might say that a Christian is somebody who believes in God. A Christian is somebody who lives a good life and does good things. What I want to say is that a Christian is somebody who is in a relationship with God. Somebody who's in a relationship with the God of Israel through Jesus Christ. And if you're in a relationship with the God of Israel, that means you are in a covenant. So what exactly is a covenant? And for the little ones, think of it like this. You're at the playground, and you and another kid see this swing, one swing left. And you have just a little bit of time left. And you both run into the same swing, and you, you, you have to decide, how are we going to agree to get along? And so you think, and you say, okay, here's the deal. I will let you have the swing for the first 10 minutes. If I go second, then I have 15 minutes. And the kid thinks, and he goes, okay, deal. You spit, and you shake on it. Don't do that, by the way. And then you agree on what you both will, uh, your, side of, your side of the road, what you agree to do. That is what a covenant is. And that is what I want to look at today, two covenants. Um, one covenant is God's covenant with David. Now, if you look in your notes, you'll see in your notes, you'll see the first half, we'll talk about David, and then in the end, we'll conclude with Abraham. God's covenant first with David, and then secondly, God's covenant with Abraham. By the way, what do you think a covenant is in God's perspective? I've heard one pastor put it like this. A covenant for God is kind of like his job description. God's saying, this is what I will do, and then in the end, he signs it. And this is important for us to realize because we might think, oh, I've, I've come here today to church, and we're singing these songs, but I don't feel good, I feel guilty. Or I feel like I've disappointed God. How many of you feel like you make God proud today? How many of you feel like maybe you're less than? You see, the covenant message is that God keeps his side of the bargain regardless, regardless of how we live our lives. God keeps his promises. And so with that, let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7. I'm going to read a couple of scriptures about God's promise to David to King David, and how God covenants with David. So, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. It will also appear on the screen. Listen to the word of the Lord. Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, 
Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. I will also appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them that they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again. Nor will the wicked afflict them anymore as formerly. Even from the day that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you, and when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your throne and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. In accordance with all these words and all this vision, So Nathan spoke to David. There's a bunch of promises here that God makes with King David. These promises start in David's life. God says, I will give you a place. I will establish your throne. And at the end of this passage, there's an important word, forever. Forever. So God tells David that his kingdom will be established not just in his lifetime, it will continue after his lifetime in his son Solomon, and then even beyond that into the future to this very day in Jesus Christ, David's kingship is eternally, eternally established. The real point that I'm driving here is that when God makes a promise in your life and the scriptures are full of God's promises to you, he keeps his side of the bargain Because he signs it and he does not break covenant. We might break covenant, but God doesn't. Even if we are unfaithful. Even if we mess up. Even if we are not living perfectly according to covenant, God will keep his side. That is God's job description. Our job description is to belong is to be His. The first doctrine that I'd like to teach today, during the season of Easter, I like to teach some of just the basic things we believe. The first fill-in-the-blank in your notes is the doctrine of election. Learn this word. Election has nothing to do with politics. It has nothing to do with the President of the United States. Election here speaks about the idea that when God chooses you, Your job and your side of the bargain is to just be his child. Now, I know that I'm speaking to a room full of children, even 70-year-old children, because we all are basically little children in big bodies. Imagine, kids, if you came home from school, what it would be like if you came home and you put your briefcase down And you say, Mom, I had such a hard day from school, third grade. It's really, really tough. I'm going to sit down and mix myself a really stiff drink 
you know, to put some high C in my apple juice today. And you gulp it down and you say, oh, I've got bills to pay. I've got to make sure the lights are on. I've got to make sure that all my automatic withdrawals won't, won't overdraft from my account. Got to make sure to take care of the family. No, that's not your responsibility. Third grade, really, it's not that hard. Your job, right? I'm not speaking as an Asian here. Don't worry, I'm not going to say your job is to get perfect grades. Your job, listen, I want you, especially if you're Asian, your job, if you are young, if you're a child, your job is just to belong, just to be the father's child, to be your mother's son or daughter. Your job, your side of the bargain, is to belong. It's just to belong. That's what the Christian doctrine of election teaches. It tells you that God has chosen you, and your side of the covenant is to be God's, to be His beloved, to be His child, to belong. And when you think about that, you can say, well, Daddy has, I'm a trust fund kid. Daddy has a big account. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. And because God says, oh, I love you so much, then I can get away. I can get away with anything. But there's a second side to this. As much as God calls you to belong and to be his child, he also calls us, and the second fill in the blank, is sanctification. He calls us to live holy lives. And the question now is, how does that play out in David's life? This is interesting. This is, this is something that I did not realize until I, I read this story carefully. God's work in David's life is to say, you are my son. In fact, it says that. It says that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14, I will be a father. So this idea that God will be a father to us. But this other side of sanctification, as it plays out in God's promises to King David, it happens, it happens that David says, well, wow, you know, I'm the king. I'm the king of Israel. I can do whatever I want. I have all these freedoms. And so in 2 Samuel chapter 11, 2 Samuel chapter 11, as the story goes, David is just kind of staying back during the season when all the kings are supposed to go off to war. I get it. David needs a break. Every good, hardworking person from time to time says, I want to sit this one out. And so David sits out, and he's staying up late, and he has a little bit of insomnia, and his wives are saying, come to bed. It's, Isn't it time for bed? And he says, all right, I'm coming already. Just want to hang out on the roof here, just get some fresh air. When are you coming to bed already? You're coming to bed. All right, I'll come to bed. Just need some fresh air. He hangs out. Just want to look at my kingdom. And in a lapse of responsibility, instead of going to bed on time when he should be, going to bed, he stays up and he observes things that he shouldn't. And he beholds this whole thing happening in front of him. It's the famous story of Bathsheba. And if that weren't bad enough, if that weren't bad enough that he watches this woman bathing uh, on the roof of her house, he decides to take her and make her his wife while she's still married to another man. That's a no-no. Not only that, the man she's married to is a good man the way he's spoken of in, in 2 Samuel 11, Uriah the Hittite, a man of honor. But 
David plots his murder and his death so that he can take Bathsheba as his own. This is what happens, gentlemen, when you stay up too late. You don't go to bed on time. You make mistakes. And so as this, under, as this, as this whole thing plays out, maybe word gets out, but eventually Nathan, Nathan the prophet, he catches wind, maybe God tells him, and Nathan, Nathan confronts King David, and he says, hey, David, you know, I want to tell you a story. There's a story. David's like, I like stories. So he says, yeah, there's this rich guy, and there's a poor guy, okay? And the rich guy, he has this huge flock of lambs. He has everything that he needs, an abundance of lambs, and the poor man has only one little ewe lamb, a female lamb, who he loves dearly. Okay? Well, it turns out that a guest comes into town and the rich man says, uh, I don't want to take from my big flock, although I have an abundance. So instead, he takes the poor man's lamb and sacrifices, kills it so that he can feed the guest. And the poor man is left with nothing. And King David hears this and he says, I, I don't like this story. It's making me mad. And justice, the justice avenger swoops in and he says, this is what I pronounce and in 2 Samuel chapter 12, David's anger burns greatly. And he says, whoever did this will pay. He will pay four times. Four times he will pay <clears throat> for his sin. Students of the Bible find, as we study the story very carefully, that the turnout of this story um, is incredibly tragic because that number four is important. You know, um, of course, who is this man and who did this? If you've watched the children, if you've watched Veggie Tales, you know the answer. What does Nathan the prophet say? He says, you are the man. You're the one who did this. And the tragedy is David in saying, let this person pay four times. He pronounced his own judgment. His own judgment. When what we have is, for the rest of David's life, from this point on to the end of 2 Samuel, his rule as king, which was bright, he was a rising star, began to go downwards. And we see that four sons in David's life begin to experience tremendous suffering. Uh, the son that he has with Bathsheba dies. He's ill. He dies. That's the first son. And then you have the second son, Amnon. This son gets involved in all kinds of twisted, strange relationships with his sister and his brother. Absalom is mad and decides to kill him. King David loses a second son. Absalom himself decides to revolt against the king. I mean, by this point, his family system is such a mess it's such a mess. It's, it's a licensed marriage and family therapist's dream come true. It's like a playground. So much to work with here. The family is completely twisted. Absalom, he decides to revolt against his father, and in the end, one of David's generals spears him to death. Third son, knocked out. And by the time David's old, another son, another son, the fourth son, Adoniah, decides to revolt against his father once again and tries to set up his own kingdom. Adoniah ends up getting killed by Solomon. And the strange thing is this, the family structure is so messed up at this point. 
so messed up. Even Solomon's mother, who's Bathsheba, ends up siding with Adoniah instead of her own son. It just goes to show that with a little bit of brokenness, a little bit of sin, the family system, it crumbles. And at the end, when David says, let him pay four times, the incredible tragedy is David paid four times. Four sons for four lambs. He loses not just his four sons as punishment that he pronounced upon himself, but he loses initiative. He loses leadership. He loses all control of an order of his family. Friends, did David ever stop being king? No. Did God's promises to David stop being true? No, to this day, if you look at the flag of Israel, the blue star of David still flies. And when we talk about Jesus, we still call him the son of David. God's promises to David stayed true, but David's enjoyment of those promises depends on his obedience to the covenant. God will keep his promises to you, my friends. God will not break his promises to you. But your enjoyment of the blessings of this covenant, really that depends on you. It depends on us. God will keep his promises. But our enjoyment of those promises, this is the process of sanctification. So when we talk about sanctification, we're not just talking about this heady Bible you know, this Bible, we're talking about this basic idea that God made a promise with me and my life should grow in holiness so that I can enjoy, not so that I can be good, but so that I can enjoy those promises. So that I can enjoy the promises. You see, it's different. There's a switch there. You are not obligated to live a good life because you are shamed, but because you want to you want to participate and enjoy the blessings of God. So those are the two doctrines, the basic teachings. First, election. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who's chosen by God. But second, sanctification. What is a Christian? A Christian is somebody who's chosen, but also somebody who's changing, growing. So that's how God deals with David. But let me now in the second half talk about Abraham. We'll change gears here, but it's all going to tie in back together at the end. Here's another covenant. God makes a covenant with a man named Abraham. As I look, if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 15. In verse 6, it says, Abraham believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. And God said to Abraham, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. And Abraham said, Lord God, how will I know that I will possess it? And God said to him, I'm going to bring out this parchment and take out your best, you know, big pen, and we're both going to sign on the dotted line. That's not what it says. God says instead something else. God says, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Bring all these animals. Now, Abraham's thinking, what are we going to do? Are we going to 
Are you going to build an, another ark or something? Are we going to start a zoo? No, Abraham knows what God is doing. Because after that, Abraham brought all these animals and he cut them in two. Nowhere does God say, cut these animals in half. But Abraham knew instinctually. The reason is because in the culture, in the ancient Near East, this was contractual talk. This was covenant talk. The minute God says, bring three-year-old animals, bring these type of animals, Abraham knew, ah, okay, God's about to make a contract with me, a covenant. And knowing that God is about to make a covenant, Abraham did exactly the next thing he knew to be true, cut those animals in half. And then what he did was he laid each half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abraham drove them away. And so what you have is this image. You have basically these animals in two pieces, in two rows. And what happened in the ancient Near East is when this happened, you had animals who were cut in two. You had blood that was spilt. The two parties would walk into the middle lane through the blood and would shake on it. And that's how you knew you sealed the deal. Because blood was involved, and you walked through the animals, through the pieces, and then the penalty was, may it be done to me like these pieces if I break my side of the deal. This is how they did business back then in the ancient Near East. Isn't it a lot easier today? We have lawyers and all kinds of litigation. Maybe it's not easier. It's a little bit more complicated, but you see, the same penalty and the weight of the covenant is there. If you're going to cut the pieces and you're going to walk through, then you have to make sure you keep your side of the bargain. But this is where the story gets eerie. Listen to this. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and behold, Terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. Ooh, I don't like this covenant, God. This, this is supposed to be happy. There's supposed to be a good. God's saying, yes, there is a good outcome. But when God makes promises, sometimes he tells you the truth. It's going to be hard as well. That yes, I will always love you. When you become a Christian, you will always be in my good graces. But there will be challenges. There will be hard times. The call to follow Jesus is not always rose, you know, rose bushes and wonderful, nice things. Sometimes there's hardships along the way. But God continues he does promise and he says, I will also judge the nation. He's speaking about Egypt. I will judge the nation whom your, your descendants will serve. And afterwards, your people will come out with many possessions. Now, as for you, as for you, Abram, you'll go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. Good enough for me. If that's my life, I'll take it. 
In the fourth generation, your people will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And then this is where the hairs on the back of your arm stand up. Listen to this. Verse 17, it came about when the sun had set, it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. What? what? Wait, what, what exactly is happening? Isn't that weird? It's weird, right, exactly. Something's passing between the pieces, and I'm looking at the translations, uh, you know, different words are a smoking fire pot, so maybe like a dish with fire in it, and then a flaming torch or a burning lamp. Um, it, it says nothing about a hand holding these things. Basically, the, the, this powerful image that we have, friends, is in the middle of the night, something divine walked through the pieces. And this is important. Does Abraham walk through as well? It says nothing about Abram doing his part and walking through. What we see here in the end is something divine that walks through on the part of both parties, keeping not only God's covenant, keeping his side, but also the other side's agreement. Because the reality is God knows, Abraham, you're just not going to be able to keep your side of the bargain. David, 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 I know you so well. You're not going to be able to do this. And in foreshadowing the cross to come thousands of years later, God, he makes promises, but he shakes his head. And he says, I know this. You're not going to be able to keep your side. You see, the story that I think we're seeing here is God in the end walking through the pieces, not just keeping his side of the bargain, but empowering us to also keep our side. This third and last fill-in-the-blank is the doctrine of perseverance or preservation of the saints. And what's behind that idea is we don't keep ourselves. God keeps us. And that this doctrine of God choosing you, election, we say that's God's side and sanctification is my side. Actually, no. God is involved in choosing you and He's involved in, whole, in making you holy as well. God is involved in calling you. He is involved in perfecting you. God is involved in your beginning journey and He's involved every step of the way. He's not saying this is my side of the bargain and you keep your side of the bargain. This is God saying, I know you can't keep, so I will walk through the pieces for both of us even taking the penalty. Even taking the penalty because I know that it will be difficult to keep covenant. The final message is this. Friends, God not only chose you as a Christian, He's helping you, empowering you, seeing you through. And in the end, if and even if we still mess up, He took the penalty. The preservation and the perseverance of the saints is not about us persevering or preserving ourselves. It's everything 
about God being the one to keep us and to make us holy all the way to the end. I think that's a beautiful opportunity to transition to the Lord's table. And this image of the pieces. On the night that he was betrayed, Christ did not take a three-year-old lamb, ram, heifer. He took himself. And he gave himself. He gave himself. And the pieces lined up on the sides. He didn't call for our blood. Christ shed his blood. Keeping covenant for us. I hope even for the children that this lesson was clear. That maybe you understood something today. You understood that God keeps his word. You understand that we make mistakes. All of us make mistakes. I'm just a big child. Still making mistakes. Learning that my job is not to be perfect, but it's to belong. I belong to my daddy. That's it. All those expectations that, I, that are placed on me externally. My job is just to be his child. Oh, you got to be perfect. you got to live a holy, sanctified life. You know, that actually is God's side too. God is able to keep you and to preserve you.